Last announcement. Mothers. Happy Mother's Day. I've done some meditating this week. You know, every year is different. Every time you sit in a birthday or anniversary or Mother's Day, Father's Day, those kinds of things, um, the Lord takes your mind down different paths. And this week, really just meditating on my own bride and watching her. And I was telling her this morning, I got teary, so I'm not going to look at her. I'm going to cry again. Um, I have watched her faithfully serve our children since we knew that she was pregnant with Trinity. And when she became pregnant with Trinity, she looked at our daughter as a gift of God, as a gift of God's grace. I watched her take care of her health. I watched her learn. I watched her um, in those early days, you know, learning what it means to be a mom and how to care for the child that God gives to you. And just, and as we said to the boys being born and over time, I've watched her fight for them. I've watched her educate herself in regards to what each child needs. I've watched her pray. I've watched her discipline. I've watched her lead. Um, and I have three fabulous children. Trinity, are you finishing your freshman year today? She has a paper due today, so pray for her. And she wraps up her freshman year of college. Huge achievement, but she would not be where she is seated in life without her mom. Same thing that goes for the boys. I've watched her fight for them, and they would not be where they are as a young woman in Christ and young men in Christ without the tremendous influence of my bride. And then that causes me to pause as a parent and look at my own mom and how she raised me, how she fought for me how she educated herself about me in my life, in my context. And that, and that causes me to take that back any further, her mom. And we look at this lineage that God has given to each one of us in our households, in our own context, and there is a tremendous uh, amount of gratitude. This is a, a, a cultural day that we ought to be very thankful for. So thank you to Julie. Thank you to my mom who is watching online that we saw her yesterday. It's weird to give your mom a side hug because of the issues that are going on. But they're distancing for a reason and, uh, you know, to take care of their own health and to, and to make sure um, that they're living the, their life in wisdom. And in context of where we are, so open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We are in a verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Acts, and last week we looked at Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke as they are being directed by the Holy Spirit out of Asia into Europe, into Macedonia. Um, women have been at the forefront of those communities. So when you go through Acts, we watched Lydia, and then it says that these first and prominent women, both in Thessalonica and in, um, and in Berea, all of these communities, it's talking about the women of the community and their participation in the body of Christ and their influence uh, for Jesus in the name of gospel, and we're going to see that again as we're in Philippians this morning. So we are shifting gears and pace. This is what we're doing. We're going to go through the entire letter to Philippians this morning, and this is the heart of these letters. Um, they were meant to be consumed in their entirety. So as we go slowly, verse by verse, that's studying the word. There's a lot to pull out of that. There's a lot of wisdom. But when these letters were going to their communities, they were meant to be read in their, in their entirety. So I'm only going to comment a little bit, and we're going to consume this letter in its entirety. And the reason that we're reading Philippians now is we get a lot of insight into the relationship of Paul and the believers in Jesus in this area of Philippi. As he went down into Thessalonica, we get some insight out of this letter of how those in Philippi ministered to him and remained in relationship with him as he went to Philippi, as he went to Berea, and later on. As he writes this, this is down the road, Paul is in jail, more than likely he is in a Roman jail. He's more than likely in Rome as 
there is an opportunity for relationship to continue. So we're going to see all of that um, as we go through Philippians this morning. But again, as we're reading this, there's these... uh, We want to sit in the relationships that are going on, and then we also want to sit in our current context, and this letter really does have a lot to speak to right where we are uh, today in the circumstance that that we find ourselves in. So let's pray, and then we're going to travel through this whole letter. So Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously, Lord, and we, again, we give you thanks that you have given us this space, this place this place of safety, Lord, this place of love, fellowship. You've given us this this place, Lord, to gather in the name of your Son. We don't come here because of a building. We don't come here because of a ministry or an ideology. We come here because of you and because of you alone. You are our God. You are our Savior. You mean everything to us. Open your word to us this morning. Open the the heart, the mind of your spirit to us. Because you've given this letter to us uh, for a purpose. So that we would know you. So that we can know the joy that we have in Jesus and in the fellowship that we have with each other. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So overarching theme of this letter, I've titled this morning, The Joy of Jesus, the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. But as, we, the, as Paul is encouraging the Philippians, he is encouraging them that there is joy in Jesus and that there ought to be this joy in Jesus and that there is this joy in Jesus regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So this is something, keep in your mind that as we read this, Paul is sitting in jail. And a Roman jail is a place where you are waiting for your trial. We know that he spent two years in Caesarea in jail. We know that he spent two years in Rome in jail awaiting his trials. This is an extended period of time. This isn't a place where he's working out and watching TV and doing whatever he wants to do. If those who love Paul are not supporting him with food, with clothing, with conversation, he's not getting any of that. So this is the context that he is writing this and the occasion, the reason that he is writing a letter is because the Philippian church has sent to him a financial gift. And not only have they sent a financial gift, they've sent a man that he has a relationship with. And that man is coming with greetings of other people that he has relationships with. And we watch his heart just express gratitude and encouragement. So let's read through this. And again, like I said, I'm going to keep comments to a minimum because we're going to go through the whole thing, but there's a few important places to stop. So Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Pause here quickly, Paul identifying himself and Timothy as bond servants, as these slaves of Jesus. He's not identifying himself as an apostle, which he is, so he's not entering into this letter with a strong position of authority. He's entering into this with this mutual relationship that they all have together in Christ. And there's this contrast too. He's, he's identifying himself as a bond slave, And he's writing to saints, those who have been made holy through faith in Jesus Christ. And he's talking to people who are in positions of authority. These bishops who are overseers. Deacons, those who are doing the work of ministry in the community. Again, so you have this structure and this contrast. But ultimately, all of us are underneath our God as his creation. And we're underneath our Lord, our Lord, Jesus Christ, the one who we bend the knee to that we talked about last week. Paul enters into thanksgiving. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, making mention of you all, look at this, with joy. 
This is why we're in this letter. We want to understand his relationship with Lydia, with the Philippian jailer, with others who have come to the Lord in that community. When I think about you, I am filled with joy and I'm going to our God in prayer for you. And I'm thankful, I'm filled with joy for your fellowship, your participation in the gospel. The gospel is brought up a lot by Paul in this. And when we talk about the gospel, it is the content that describes Jesus in his entirety. As God, as the one who became man, as the one who saved us, as he died for us, as the one who rose again. As the one who is seated in heaven, as the one who dwells within us, as the one who is changing us and transforming us, as the one who we are following. You look at the entire message of what the gospel communicates, this participation, this fellowship that we have with one another. This is what Paul is talking about. From the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he, our God, who has begun a good work in you, He will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. There are a lot of famous one-liners as we go through Philippians that are going to ring in your ears as we quote these things. Um, But this morning, I want to highlight the the context in which these one-liners find themselves. So important. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers, participants with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. That's a great long-winded way to say I love you, I miss you, I'm thankful for you, I'm so glad that we are in Jesus together. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. In knowledge, so in your head, as you grow in your knowledge of Jesus and in all discernment. The idea of discernment is God giving us wisdom for the benefit of others. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that are superior. That you may be sincere And without offense to the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now he turns to his own context. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold. They're much more daring to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife. And some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love. Knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, for my salvation, my rescue from danger through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, 
so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or whether by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. I just realized for you, the online, John, were you just able to switch everything over to Philippians? He just gave me the thumbs up. I didn't change it from last year, last week's. So you guys are following along with Philippians online. But as Paul is giving his testimony to the Philippians in regards to where he currently is, he's talking about this tension that we all lived in that we all live in currently. We know this saying, to live is Christ, but to die, to go, and to be with Christ is is gain. We live in this tension where there is part of us where we can't wait to go and see Jesus face to face. We can't wait for Jesus to come back. It's our longing, it's our yearning. Yet, at the same time, I am so thankful that I have life today. I'm thankful to be interacting with you today. I'm thankful to be able to watch my children grow. I am, there is part of me that hopes that the Lord tarries. I want to watch my children get married. I want to see them as adults. I want grandchildren. I want great-grandchildren. There's part of me that I want to live a long, full, abundant life in the name of Jesus, whatever that looks like. And there's another part of me that wants to go and be with Jesus right now. And there's this tension. And he's going to use this tension and this contrast through all this. But this is what we all sit in in our lives. And he continues to go on. So in in his own tension, and now he's encouraging the Philippians, only let your conduct, verse 27 of chapter 1, let your conduct, your life, be worthy, be suitable of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or an absent I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, that you stand firm. Listen to this. In one spirit and in one mind, striving together, literally struggling along with one another for the faith of the gospel. Again, it's not just the content that we're talking about. It's the person that the gospel describes, our faith is in Jesus, our King, our Lord, our God, our Christ. And not in any way terrified, intimidated by your adversaries, by those who are opposing you, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted, graciously given, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name's sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So Paul, as he is encouraging his brothers and sisters, he knows that they know that he is currently in jail for proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And he knows that they have heard of his condition. At the same time, he's saying, you saw what occurred in my life because of enemies, because of opposition to Jesus in your life and in my life. And he's encouraging them not to be intimidated, not to be terrified of those who stand in opposition, but let your life be suitable. Let it match the life of Christ, the life of the one who lives in you. And this is how, this is the thrust of the overall encouragement that he is offering to the Philippians. And this is the message that we can sit in this morning in our own context, in our own culture, and what's going on. Therefore, and it's not if, like as a question, 
It's since, since there is consolation, encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort, the comfort of love, since there is fellowship, this association of the Spirit, since there is this, this affection, this heart, and, and mercy, and compassion, Paul's saying, because all of these things are going on in you, fulfill my joy. How? By being like-minded. Listen to this. Having the same love. Be of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, in humility, in modesty, let each one esteem others, consider others better than himself, surpassing, rising above yourself. Let each one of you look What does that say? Let each one of you look, but not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. As we gather this morning, as, as we look at our, our, our current context of life, a lot of us, not a lot of us, every single one of us thinks about ourselves and our own personal context first. It's natural. It is what we do. And we do each need that reminder from the Lord out of his word to consider other people. And as we gather this morning, the, the, our efforts, our prayers, our intentions are to consider others' needs before our own. For each of you who are, who are in the room today, you have been thought about. You have been considered. What are your needs? What are you afraid of? What are you processing through? What is your life context? How do we allow you to come in here in a way so that you can worship your God who has created you and saved you? What do we need to do to create that kind of environment for you? As I study, as I teach, as I pray, what is it not that I necessarily need to learn, but Lord, what do I need to hear from you so that I can give that to my brothers and sisters? To esteem you, to, to lift you above my own mind and my own need, and not only to consider myself, but to consider what your needs are in your context today, right now. Just as those of you who are online, we've thought about and considered, all right, many are going to desire, want to, and need to stay home. So how do we consider your position as we attempt to creative environment of community and fellowship that we are in this together, that we are one, that we have one mind, that we have one Lord, that there is one spirit, that there is one baptism, one God, one salvation, and that we're in this context of life together. As we listen to news broadcasts and you read articles and you have people on opposite spectrums of how they are um, interpreting and processing through our cultural context today and everybody that's in between, there's a lot of aggression, there's a lot of division, there's a lot of I'm right and you're wrong and this is why. Again, in our context, how, we, how are you going to listen to this word as we go back into our context, into your work, into your home, into your neighbors, as part of your church community, how do you esteem the needs of others as greater than your own? Because we have to confess, our initial reaction is, well, what are my needs? Well, what's my context? As I've communicated to others, this has been really, this is pretty easy for me. I am able to, in my job, I am able to telecommute so I can work from home and fulfill all of my job responsibilities. In our household, our children are home. They're able to all do their homework. We're tackling different home projects. The yard looks great because we have all this extra time. So life has shifted a little bit. That's our context. But if I forget about the people who are sick, this past week, we... We're informed about a friend, friends, who lost their child 
We watched his service by live stream uh, through the computer on Friday. I could just go about my life and forget about their context very easily. But this is, no, I need to elevate their needs and their context. The Lord has given me a relationship with these people for a reason. Lord, how? Let us esteem. And again, this, is this, this idea of love and humility and being united in love and in humility, it is central to the gospel. It is central to following Jesus and it is central to this letter because now Paul's going to bring up the examples. Jesus himself is going to bring up Timothy and Epaphroditus and himself as examples of what this looks like. So first, let this mind, verse 5 of chapter 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being... In the form of God, Jesus is God, always has been, always will be. He did not consider it robbery, something that he grasped and seized from God. He did not consider it robbery to be equal, to be the same, to be equivalent with God the Father. But made himself, this is by choice, this is what our God chose to do in creating us before the foundation of the world, this is his plan. He made himself of no reputation, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. That same word that Paul identified himself as. And coming, being born in the likeness, in the form of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. He was subject to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And when we look at the cross, we see it today as an image of our salvation. It communicates to us. Our God who became a man who died for our sins as our substitution, that he did not remain dead, that he rose again from the dead. The cross has very specific cultural context to us right now. In the context that he's writing to, remember, Philippi is a Roman colony. When you think of a cross in this culture at this time, it is an instrument of a very violent death and execution Because you have violated the laws and the will of Rome. This is the death that Jesus subjected himself to. The King of kings and the Lord of lords subjected himself to the obedience of the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And we talked about that last week, bowing our knee to Jesus as king. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that word there for tongue, this is, this is speech, that every speech, and this is how, I, how I've sat in this as I've looked at this, this week, Lord, let all of the words, as I am thinking, as I am meditating, you tell me that out of my heart, my mouth speaks. So the speech that comes out of my mouth, Lord, may it be in submission to Jesus as Christ. May it be confessing him continually. As I talk to my wife, as I talk to my children, as I talk to you, that as I talk to the stranger, as the Lord grants to me the gift of speech, may that speech be subject to that confession that Jesus is Lord. And may it glorify God our Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you also have always obeyed, Not as in my presence only, but now much more in absence. Work out, bring about, produce, accomplish your own salvation with fear and trembling, with reverence. Why? For it is God who works in you, 
both to will his desire and to do the work of his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing. A large segment of the culture in which we live does everything with complaining, with grumbling, with much argument. It's called us to something different. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked, a harsh and perverse generation, a deformed generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and will rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. I'm going to pause here real quick this week. Um, and we're walking alongside the boys as they are, have their learner's permit and driving and making sure the car's all set and that kind of stuff. And we have, you know how your headlights get all yellow and tarnished and you can't really see? So we want the boys to be safe and all those kinds of things. So we paid to have the lights refinished. And Eli, we're standing, you know, we're like 75 feet away from the front of the car. And we want to see what it looks like. And Eli goes and starts the car and he turns on the headlights. And wow, those look really good and they're really clear. Eli, turn on the brights. And he gets back in the car and he has no idea how to turn the brights on. So we're going through this whole process, really not paying attention. And he finally gets the brights on and it was blinding. The guy did a great job on the headlights. But that's what this is being, this, the, this word where we shine as lights in the world. That word for shine is to beam. Like continually think about having your brights on. That you have been filled with God who is light. That you would beam him in a way that when people look at you and your life and your context and your faith and whatever is going on, that you are reflecting that holy light of God. I think it's an awesome illustration. It's what I sat in as I learned it this week. But I trust in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may also be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Now listen to what Paul is saying. He's encouraging them to be like-minded. And now he is giving them the testimony. In his context, he doesn't have anybody else around him that has his same mind and same heart that would care for the Philippians, care for their state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character. Now remember, Timothy was there in Philippi as they're receiving the gospel. They have a relationship with him. We believe from Acts that Timothy remained behind as Paul and Silas went on to Thessalonica. But you know his proven character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet, I considered it necessary. So right now, I need to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, but your messenger. And this is the idea that the Philippians, that Epaphroditus is from Philippi, and this is the man, I'm sure others too, that they sent to Paul with the gift. So your messenger, the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. So they heard that their brother was sick and they're, they're worried for him and he's worried for them because they're worried about him. Again, you see the relationship and the love. Verse 27, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem and honor. 
Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. And that'll get, make sense as we go on here in a minute. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write to you the same, uh, the same things to you is not tedious, it's not slow, but for you, it's safe. Repetition is an awesome thing. It is a necessary thing in our relationship with Jesus. But Paul gives a warning. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. We have no confidence in our flesh. Though I might also, I, might, I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But the declaration Paul just gave in regards to his flesh, who he was as a man. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ, as damage for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection, that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. No confidence in the flesh. What I value is Jesus and Jesus alone. As Greg was praying in the midst of worship, he made mention that we value Jesus Christ above all, that he is more valuable than anything in all things and that is exactly what is being communicated here and again in that mind of encouraging them to be filled with love and humility and of one mind in Christ in their community this is this exhortation that continues to go on not that I have already attained in verse 12 or I'm already perfected but I press on I pursue I persecute that I may lay hold, that I may attain to that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind. And again, he's talking about all of his achievements. He could be talking about all of his mistakes. He could be talking about his persecution of the church. He could be talking about all those things that are valuable to human beings in our cultures. All of these things, I'm forgetting those things that are behind. And I'm reaching forward. I'm stretching out to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal, the target, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we're not going to turn there, but you could sit in, a, in Matthew 5 as Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. His in His introduction to that and the whole content he's describing the reward that we have in our God I press towards that target and that goal and that prize that upward call of God in Christ Jesus therefore let us as many are as as are mature have this mind remember again he's talking about being like-minded love humility have this mind the mind of Christ if any of you think otherwise, God's going to reveal it even to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. 
Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Again, think about Paul's relationship with the Philippians. What he was like as he was there present with them and who he has been in the times that he is away from them and the times that he has been present. This testimony, I've given you a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, there's this warning, and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship, and again, this is standing in contrast to the citizenship of Rome, any other earthly pride, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body, that it be made that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And you can see that Paul has received information. There's some tension between two women in the body of Christ and Philippi. Whatever the reason, he's imploring them to love one another, to be humble towards each other, to be like-minded with each other. And all the description that he has already given, this is the these two women need to sit in that information as they're sitting in their uh, contention and conflict with each other. And none of us ever sits in any kind of conflict with another Christian, right? This is that kind of exhortation. As we process through those life experiences, here's the heart that we need to have. And I urge you also, true companion, we don't know if he's talking to an individual, if he's talking to the church of a whole, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers who names, whose names are in the book of life. And you can see this is, this is a famous line, again, one, a one-liner, but you got to see it in context. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Euodia and Syntyche, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'm going to tell you, again, rejoice in the Lord. Have the same mind. Be loving. Be humble. Let your righteousness be known to all men. Syntyche, the righteousness that you have in Jesus Christ, let it be known to Euodia. Euodia, let the righteousness that you have in Jesus Christ be known to Syntyche. The Lord is at hand. He's near. He's returning. He's present. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests, literally, let your demands be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And that is a message that many in our culture need to hear today. Finally, brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, there is anything praiseworthy, worthy of applause, meditate, reason, think about these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. And you can see his love and his encouragement towards his brothers. Now this, this personal thank of gratitude. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care, your regard for me has flourished. It's blossomed again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. 
Not that I speak in regard to the need, literally to the lack. Listen to Paul. This is, this is wonderful. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Lord, your grace is sufficient. It is enough. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. When I read that line, I see that tension that I mentioned earlier. I think Paul knows how to be full, and he knows how to be hungry at the same time, in the same moment, on the same day. Today, right now, I have a complete fullness and satisfaction in who God is and in who I am in him and in my life circumstances. At the same time, there is, I have a hunger and thirst for God. Beyond, I, there is so much more of him. There is so much more of me that I want there to be less of. There's this tension. I know how to be full and hungry. I know how to both abound and to suffer need. God, you provide everything in my life today, right now. But at the same time, there are a lot of things like, Lord, I need this. Will you provide for this? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, another famous line that we quote in and of itself. And it's true all by itself, but it's context I think is awesome. I am able to do all things through Christ who enables me. Whether I'm full, whether I'm hungry, whether I lack, or whether I'm abounding, I am able to do all things through Jesus who enables me. Nevertheless, you have done well in that you have shared, you have participated in my distress. Listen to this. Their love for him when they heard about his distress, regardless if they were abounding or in need themselves, they wanted to participate in their brother's life. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from you, from Macedonia, that no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Remember the context. When he, left Thessal or when he left Philippi, he goes to Thessalonica, and then he says, For even in Thessalonica you sent aid, not just once, but again, multiple times, for my necessities. As we go into First and Second Thessalonians next week, we're going to see that Paul was not receiving any kind of gifts from the Thessalonians, but he was there working with his own hands, and the gifts that were being received from the Philippian church were sustaining his work in the gospel in that community, participation. He says, not that I seek the gift, I'm not looking for your money, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I have received in full, he says. I am now oversupplied. He says, I am full and satisfied. Why? Because I have received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you. And they are truly a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable gift, well-pleasing to God. And this is the promise. My God shall supply. He shall make full all of your need, whatever necessity you lack, my God shall cause you to be full in every need according to his riches, his wealth in glory by Christ Jesus. What a promise for each of us to always hold on to regardless of the circumstance of life. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Greg and Karen, you want to come up? We have a couple more songs of worship.
As we're here in this room, as always, we want to respond to what the Lord is speaking to us. Again, this is one of those, those days where we go through a lot all at once, little comment, but the Holy Spirit speaks to us. There is so much encouragement in this. And again, that, that dominant theme of regardless of the circumstances of life, may you intentionally pursue the joy that is only found in Jesus. And in those circumstances, whether right now you are abounding and you feel like you were oversupplied or you're on the other side of that spectrum and you are in the midst of need and you're sitting in lack and you are crying out to God, when and I need it now and you're making demands of him as he is calling you to do, the exhortation in this, as the body of Christ, that we would rejoice in Jesus independently and corporately together, and that as we rejoice in him, that that rejoicing would be a response to his love, and that as we go about our activities, that the, the, the motivation, the compelling factor of how we move forward in this life as we follow Jesus would be his love and his love alone. That as we participate in the community and the body of Christ, that everything that we do would be in the position of humility. That humility that is identical to our God who humbled himself, that kind of mind subjecting himself to whatever the will of God was for his life in that moment, that we would do the same thing, that we would esteem, that we would look, not look down on others, but that we would allow our minds and our hearts to have this attitude of this person's need and their distress is greater than my own in this moment. Lord, show me how to love them as you would have me to love them. And as we turn to worship, we also turn to communion, remembering him pouring out his love for us, not just on the cross, but how he loves us greatly every day. And when we receive that love and we abide in that love, that wells up within us his peace and his joy. And the only thing that we are left to do is rejoice.